Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you guys here this morning. My name's Aaron, and I'm really excited to finally be here and be one of the pastors here at Bridgewater. If, uh, if you're new here, just, just so you know why, why everybody's clapping, well, that's what they always do for me, so thank you. You guys are awesome, but no, if you're new here, I'm brand new here, and this has been almost a year in process for, for me and my family. It's been a, a long time coming for us, and so we really are excited. Thank you for the warm welcome. It, it means the world to us. Um, I don't know if maybe you identified with some of those. I, I have a little bit of confession time to get started here. I may have compared my wife's chocolate chip cookies to my mom's once. Yeah, really bad idea. If you're newlywed or Dallas, you're engaged, don't do it, okay? This, this whole series has been focused on looking at our relationships and how we can not just like survive them, but how we can thrive, how we can do well, how we can make sure that the, the different relationships that we have are, are going to be functioning in, 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 a, well, in a way that is uh, healthy and helpful to each one of us. And today, on Father's Day, we get to talk a little bit about parenting. Now, I know several people have said Happy Father's Day to you, but I also realize that sometimes Father's Day is it's, it's a little bit tough. Similar to, I, I think about this with Mother's Day too, you know. Um, lots of people grow up, unfortunately, with, without a dad in their lives. In this area, I know that there's a huge need for foster care. There's a lot of people within Bridgewater who are doing a great work of stepping in and becoming, you know, a, a father, a father-like figure for kids. And so I recognize that, that Father's Day is a, a, a little bit tough, but today we're going to talk about some things that regardless of what your past looks like or whether or not you felt like you were a good dad or, or a good mom or whether or not you felt like you had a good mom or dad in your life, we're going to talk about some things that I think will help each one of us, whatever stage of life we're in, to be the most effective parents and influencers of children that we possibly can. I want to show you real quick just a picture of my family. This is, this is me and my wife, Amanda, and our three children. We have Titus, who's this giant on the, on the side. He's uh, 13, but he's as tall as me. I, I, don't, I, I don't know what's going to happen here. I have Silas in the middle, and then Anastasia. And um, I learned something a long time ago, long before I became a parent, that I just want to share with you that really came out when I started parenting. Here's, here's what it is. Life is full of challenges. Would you agree? You ever experienced challenges? You get out of your parents' home and you start paying bills. That's a lot of fun, right? Then you move to New York and there's taxes. Yeah, I'm new. I'm figuring that out. It's, it's awesome. I mean, there's all kinds of challenges. There's challenges at work. There's challenges with relationships. There's challenges with neighbors. There's challenges in your own marriage. There's challenges in dating. I mean, you name it. There's a myriad of challenges. Well, years ago, I took a group of teenagers. I was 21 years old, barely not a teenager myself. 
I took a group of teenagers on a trip we called a, spir a spiritual adventure. We left Nebraska, where I grew up, with a trailer full of canoes. We headed south to Arkansas, and we were going to canoe a week on the Buffalo River in Arkansas. It's beautiful. The whole time in preparation for this trip, I'd been praying that God would, would teach the teens, interact with the teens in a way that they would never forget. And that was a prayer I didn't expect to be answered in the way it was. We started traveling. Here I am. I had 15 teens. I'm 21. Whoever trusted me with those kids. <laughs> we start traveling down the road. As we're going, or actually there were 14 teens because we had a 15 passenger van. So that's, we would never have more than we were supposed to. So, okay. We start traveling down the road. We get just outside of Arkansas and all of a sudden we lost complete power from the transmission. I had first gear, so not complete, I had first gear, but we had 100 miles to go. We stopped on the side of the road. I'm racking my brain. I'm 21 years old. I don't know what to do. I'm scared. I'm calling everyone I can think of. I don't know what to do. I mean, it's challenge after challenge. It's 100 degrees. The kids are in the van sweating, dying. They're like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And I'm going, what are we going to do? But then, thankfully, something hit me. Now, I will... I'm not going to over-spiritualize this, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not the hero here, but something hit me and said, you know what, get the kids together and let's pray. We're on a spiritual adventure. These challenges are a spiritual opportunity. So we got out of the van, standing significantly off the interstate on the side of the road, and we stopped and we prayed and we said, God, I don't know what's going on here, I don't know what to do, but would you please work in a way that we would be able to see it and know that you moved and you worked in a powerful way? And I wish I could make this stuff up, but as I, picked up, as I stopped praying, my phone began to, to ring. Now, it was one of those big brick you know, flip phones because I am that old, uh, and that was my cell phone at the time. It began to ring, and I picked it up, and it was... A Bible college, someone calling from a Bible college near where we were, somehow they had heard that we had a van broken down, and they said, we're on our way to you with another van, and we're going to get your van fixed. Now, you want to talk about something that I think those teens are never going to forget? I don't know. They may have forgotten it, but I haven't. And I learned something big that day about God and life. Yes, life is full of challenges, but we have a big God on our side. And I learned that, it, that, you know, even before I had kids, I learned that just like life is full of challenges for me, it's going to be full of challenges for my kids. It's going to be full of challenges for your kids, for your grandkids. It may have already been full of challenges for your kids and your grandkids. But now as a parent, I've learned a few things as well. Here, here's what I've learned. Let me share with you a couple things I've learned. I've learned that parenting can, can feel overwhelming. Ever felt like that? I mean, it can be absolutely overwhelming. I have three kids. I have just, I, I'll be complete transparency with you, I've just experienced the hardest month of parenting I've ever experienced. And guess what my first assignment is when I get to Bridgewater? Preach on parenting. 
Yeah, it's awesome. This has been the most humbling month I've ever experienced as a parent because we've uprooted our children and we've moved them and they've had a good attitude, but that's hard. Uh, my son and I had an interaction and I've asked him if I could share these things with you, but we had an interaction this week where he, he's, he's a teenager and he, he kind of started to come out with that teenage attitude and I, I haven't seen that a lot in him. And I pulled him aside. I said, hey, what's, what's, what's going on? He said, you moved me. Yep. It's overwhelming. Parenting can be overwhelming. Parenting can make you feel unqualified. You can look at it and go, I don't know how to, I don't know how to do this. I don't know what the answers are. Not only that, there are times depending on what's going on in your kids' lives or in their hearts or, or what's going on in your own heart and your own life and the number of things that are going on, parenting can feel impossible. Now, some of you have been parents and you're on the other side and you're going, yep, felt those things, but it's not impossible. Please tell us those things. No matter who you are or what you've been through, please tell us those things. But there's some really, really good news that I want to share with you here today on Father's Day. Here's the good news. God's Word is a help. God's Word gives clarity on what my children need and what your children need. And so even if I feel unqualified, and even if I feel overwhelmed, and even if it feels impossible, I want you to know that we can, we can show you from God's Word some things about what your children or future children or grandchildren or even grown children might need from you as a parent. And here's the good news. It's bigger than this. When I grew up, I kind of thought all the Bible said about parenting was spare the rod, spoil the child, right? I thought that's all that the Bible said. That's not all that the Bible said. I thought all that the Bible said was children obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. I thought that's all that it said, but that's, that's not all that it says. There's so much more clarity in God's word about parenting. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to look at a passage that isn't really in any parenting books. You're not going to find it listed as, you're not going to find the word parenting in it, okay? So if you want it to be like kind of a, a, an index and it says parenting, go here, that's not it. But it is a passage that is all about dealing with challenges. Just to clarify, I'm not saying your children are just challenges, or my children are just challenges. What I'm saying is, I face challenges, you face challenges, your kids will face challenges, what do we do? So what we're going to do is, we're going to look at a passage that is all about dealing with challenges and difficulties and struggles, and we're going to look at it through the lens of parenting, okay? So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to Galatians chapter 6, or if you want to just follow along up here, you can, or open up your phone, open up a Bible app, and you can follow along, okay? I'm really only going to look at two passages today. It starts in Galatians 6, and then we'll back up a little bit into Galatians chapter 5. Let me show you the first verse, okay? Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1 says this, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, anybody here have children that might sin? Now, I, I'm saying this really quickly. Again, this is my first week here. I'm saying this on purpose. 
I'm a pastor. Yep. I'm a sinner. Yep. Saved by grace. I have children who will sin. And I know you're going to watch my kids, and you're going to see my kids. I just want you to know, they're going to struggle just like your kids, okay? And I hope, you, I hope you'll be generous and gracious with them. I, I ask you because God's going to do a work in their life, okay? But they're going to struggle with sin, just like me. Now, here's the good news. The passage doesn't just point a finger and say, hey, you who struggle with sin, get yourself together. No, it says this. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should what? Should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves or you may also be tempted. So let me take a minute and highlight three phrases in this first verse, okay? Each one of these phrases are really, really key. The first phrase is this. Anyone who gets caught in a sin. Listen, the Bible describes sin as kind of like, like temptation. We were familiar with that word, but it's like fishing, like the feed was talking about earlier, Jeff was talking about on there. You know, you, you, you take a lure and you cast it out and you're trying to catch a fish. That's honestly, that, that's what happens with sin. Something dangles in front of us. It looks pretty. It looks shiny. It looks good. And, and you know, if we aren't careful, we give in and we go after it. Well, guess what? That, that happens to all of us. So I, I point this out because I want you to know this verse is really about all of us. We are going to apply it to parenting, but it is about all of us. Second, let me show you the second phrase. The second phrase is this, you who live by the Spirit. In other words, it's, it's raising the question of, are you a, a, a spiritual person? Are you a person who is committed to living in a way that demonstrates that you love Jesus? And we'll talk about how you can know whether or not you live by the Spirit here in a minute. But I'll just briefly, there's, there's a couple of things. The Spirit comes and the Spirit convicts us of sin. Did you know that? And He leads us in the way that is right. So, first and foremost, are you a person who, when, when it's clear that something is wrong, you fight to not go that direction? Second of all, are you a person who, when you do go in a direction that you realize is wrong, you're quick to repent? Third, are you a person who, when you see something is right and this is the way we should go, you're quick to obey? That's what it looks like. That's what it looks like to be a person who lives by the Spirit. Third, let me show you the third uh, phrase that stands out. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should punish them and spank them and make sure they get it right. Well, th listen, there's a place for correction. Scripture does talk about that. But really, what is the goal of correction? Here's what the goal is, to restore them gently, to set them up. Your whole goal as a parent, my whole goal as a parent is not to, not to raise a child who just does and, and, and agrees with everything I say. My whole goal is to raise a child who will grow up to be a godly adult. That's my goal. And that means I'm going to have to increasingly treat them more and more like an adult and learn how to gently correct them. So, let me just share with you, honestly, three needs that our children have, that my children have, and your children have, your grandchildren have, and, and, and even if you're... Like, can I just tell you, I realize some of you have adult 
children here. And you may say, Aaron, you don't know how much I've messed up. You don't know what it was like. You don't know. There's no hope. Can I? No, there is hope. You'd be surprised how far life change will go and an apology will go. Okay? So these apply to all of us. These are needs that my kids have and that your kids have. And the first one is found in this verse 1. It goes like this. Children, my children, need parents who love Jesus. That's what they need. Now, I realize Bridgewater, we are very much so a, a church where unchurched people or people who aren't church people or aren't familiar with church or don't even know what they think about Jesus, they are, we, we have people here all the time with that in mind. And that's awesome. And I love that. And if you're, you're not sure what you think about Jesus, you're not even sure what, whether or not Jesus is real, that's fine. I'm glad you're here. But I'll tell you, one of the things that God's word is really clear on is that the best life you could ever live and experience is one following Jesus and honestly, one of the best things you could ever do for your children is begin to look into Jesus for yourself. See, when I'm following Jesus, when I have my eyes on Jesus, love isn't really that difficult because Jesus has loved me. Patience, forgiveness really isn't that difficult. And yeah, my children require patience, and sometimes they need patience with me. But when a, when a child has a parent who loves Jesus, it changes everything. So how do you know whether or not you love Jesus? Well, a couple of things. When we love Jesus, there's two things that will happen in your life. Number one, we won't overlook sin in our own lives. So going back to that verse, verse 1, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person. A person who loves Jesus won't overlook or ignore their own sin. They'll say, look, I, I know I'm struggling with it. So parents, are you, are you people who, who will repent when you sin in front of your child? And let's be honest, I have acted with my children out of anger before. And I have to own it and ask their forgiveness. I have acted with, with my children out of my own pride. I have, I have acted out of my own needs and selfishness rather than prioritizing those that God has called me to serve. I've done that. Dads, I realize that we live in a world that, that really does not prioritize masculinity. doesn't celebrate it. It treats it as toxic. I will tell you, dads, the goal is not for you to go to work and bring home a paycheck and kick back and be able to watch TV and have a beer or do whatever you want. The goal is for you to get serious about your own heart. And if your kids don't see you dealing with the things going on in your heart, how in the world do you think they're going to love Jesus? Because see, you bring them here one hour a week and you get them all the rest. What's going to make an impact? you. They need to see you refusing to overlook sin in our own lives. Is there something that you need to get rid of from your life, dads? Number two, when we love Jesus, we will restore others with sin in their lives, including our children. We'll take the time. Now, 
I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to be critical of my parents. I grew up in a, in a great home, and my parents were, you know, love Jesus, and they're, they're wonderful people. But I kind of grew up with the you do wrong, you get the belt kind of thing, you know. I mean, not always, don't get me wrong. It wasn't abusive, okay. <laughs> but I kind of grew up with that mindset. Parents, I wonder if there's a different goal. What if the goal is not to get to your kid's butt, but to get to their heart? What if the goal is to find out, to ask questions? Hey, what were you thinking when you chose this? Not, what were you thinking, but hey, help me understand. What were you thinking? Help me understand. What were you going for? What were you trying to accomplish? Because when you ask those questions, you're going to get to their heart and you're going to be able to start restoring them and to reorient their hearts to ask questions. What does God say? How does this line up with what you already know God says? Because our children know some things about what God says. We can talk with them. That's what it looks like when we love Jesus. Parents, I just got to say this again. I know I've said it several times, but correction, just flat out, plain correction, especially as they get older, is not the goal. The first five years, yep, you need to teach them to obey. Yes, absolutely, okay? But as they get older, the goal is actually restoration. The goal is to teach them what it looks like to go to God and to be restored and to make a heart change. Do not miss this in verse 1. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, but watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. And I got to say, I, I just want to say one more thing ab about this restore them gently. There's a principle that I picked up years ago. It goes like this. How we speak often trumps what we say. My body language, my force, and I've been guilty of this coming down too hard. So there's a couple of things to watch out for. Moms, dads, grandparents, maybe one day parents-to-be, a couple of things to watch out for. There's some major threats to you being able to, to love Jesus and to restore your children well. Here's what they are. Number one, overlooking. You can overlook your kid's sin. You can, maybe it's because you have sin in your own life and you go, well, I'm not real, I don't have the right to, to deal with my kid's sin. Or maybe it's because we're, we're lazy and we don't really want to take the time to engage. We'd rather do our own thing. Or, or maybe it's because we, we don't feel equipped, but we, we choose to overlook sin. We can't do that. Number two is, well, we come down too heavy. We carry around a spiritual club, and we beat our kids with it metaphorically, and we ignore our own sin, and we treat them poorly in, in order to just shame them, or, or maybe we expose their sin, we point it out, and then we never help them be restored. There was a, a foundational moment in my life as a teenager. I think... I think my own dad felt unequipped. Any other dads felt like that? You don't have to raise your hand. I've felt like that. I think my own dad felt unequipped, and there was a time when I was a teenager, and I happened to find something and be looking at something that I shouldn't 
have been. And my dad caught me, and I praised Jesus that I got caught. It was a good thing. But my dad just said, stop that, and walked away. And I kind of sat there stunned and crushed, and I was like, okay, yeah, I know stop that, but can we talk about it? I need help. Dads, your kids need help. You may feel unequipped, but it's okay. Just, just lean in and talk with them. So, what do your kids need? They need you to love Jesus. There's a couple of verses, and I'm not going to take the time to read them right now in Galatians chapter 5. I'm going to move past these, but I'd encourage you to circle back and look at them for yourself. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 26, it talks about what it looks like to have a heart that's chasing after Jesus. It talks about the fruits of the Spirit, the Spirit showing up and you love, joy, peace, patience, perseverance. Check it out for yourself, but that's, that's what we're striving for, parents. Secondly, children need parents who are engaged in their lives. Let me show you. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 2 says this. It says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. In other words, we, we should pay attention to each other and what's going on. Your, your children are going to carry burdens and they're going to need you to know enough about what's going on in their lives and in their hearts, what's going on at school, what's going on with their friends and their relationships. They're going to need you to be engaged because they carry burdens too. I learned this in an interesting way. I think it was two, two school years ago. My oldest son, Titus, was in fifth grade sitting at the lunch table. And they started having conversations about what their favorite restaurants are. Simple conversation, right? It's going around the table and they're listing things. And you'll be pleased to know that, yes, we have Chick-fil-A in Kansas City, okay? I don't know if that's a big thing here or not, but it seems, you know, okay. Anyway, we have Chick-fil-A there, and that's Titus's favorite restaurant. Well, Chick-fil-A brought up a whole topic of conversation because there's a little girl at his table who, who has two moms, and she says, we don't eat there because they don't support, you know, my, my, my two moms. And Titus got in a whole conversation, and, and people started asking him, well, what do you believe about homosexuality? He said, well, I'd, I'm not coming down on anybody, but I just, I, I believe this is what God says. God says that, that uh, homosexuality is wrong. And for the, the duration of that year, he got called a homophobe as a fifth grader, as a fifth grader. Conversations that most of us never had at that age. And my son needed me to be engaged and to know, to help carry his burden and to come alongside him. Your children are going through things, they need you to be engaged. They need you to get involved. They need, they need you to pay attention to what they care about. They need you to care about what's going on in their lives. So I would tell you that one of the best things that you could do is learn to ask, ask questions about your kids. Ask questions about what they, they care about and what's going on. And they may say, nothing. I'm fine, Dad. 
Leave me alone. But keep asking. Keep asking. Now, this is not the only, verse 2 is not the only verse that talks about carrying burdens. Verse 5 actually talks about burdens as well. So I want to point this out. Verse 5 says, for each one should carry their own load or burden. But I thought just in verse 2 it says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Yes, but there are two different words that are used here for burden. The first one in verse 2 is a, is a word that's used for like a normal burden, like the, the normal age-appropriate things that come on us. So like my children at this point shouldn't have the, the burdens of paying all the bills, the burdens of making sure the home is upkept and, and, and the, 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 the septic tank works and all the pumps and the furnaces and all of that. They, they don't need all of those burdens. They don't need the burdens of the political landscape and all of that. They don't need those burdens. But then the Verse 5 uses another word for burden, load. It uses, it's talking about an extraordinary, a large, a, a, a load that would pretty much, you know, uh, weigh anybody down. Okay? It's a little bit like this. Let me show you a picture. It's a little bit like this. Like your, your, your kids are meant to carry, yeah, they can carry their own load, but they shouldn't be carrying everything that's on the van. And if you find that they are starting to carry more and more than they should, we as parents, we can get engaged. We can help carry. We can offload. We can share with them, hey, those are not things that you need to worry about. We're here. We're going to help. You know, getting engaged in your kid's life can be a challenge. But I saw an illustration years ago that stuck with me. It's an illustration that talks about how much time we have with our kids. Whatever stage of life your kids are in, you have a certain amount of time left with your kids. Let me show you this illustration. When your kids are born, you have approximately 936 weeks with your kids. 936 Saturdays. 936 times to sit down and have pancakes rather than go into work. That, that's what you have. And as your kids get older and older, like right now, I have, a, I have an 11-year-old, so I have approximately 380, right, weeks left with my 11-year-old. I have approximately 230, you know, weeks left with my 13-year-old. I have approximately, you know, 560 weeks left with my 7-year-old. So why not use those to help them carry their load? Why not think ahead about what you want the outcome of your child's life to be and, and invest in it just one week at a time, just a little bit at a time. You make it huge, it gets overwhelming. You just, just one week at a time. I'm going to invest I'm going to spend time. I'm going to engage. So let me share with you some ways you can engage. Here's, here's four ways that you can engage with your kids. Number one, ask questions. Ask them what's going on in their lives. Ask them, you know, what, what, they, what they like. Number two, get involved with the things they like. My, my kids for a long time have liked Fortnite. I don't like video games. It's not my thing. I, some of you like video games. 
more power to you. It's not my thing. I would rather go sit on a tractor or go outside and run a saw or do something like that. Now, I have one child who loves that, and for me, it's easy to engage with him. I have another child who, who is gifted in other ways and loves other, you know, uh, other things, and so I have to work a little bit differently to engage with him. I have a daughter who loves Barbies. I don't know if you know this, but Barbies aren't my thing. Yeah, I knew you were wondering. I don't, she loves to, she, I have kids who are creative. I'm not the creative one. I have a wife who's incredibly creative. And so when they want to do creative things, I'd rather do concrete things. But I got to figure out how to engage. You need to refuse to overbook them. You need to refuse to put them in all the sports because then they don't have time and you don't have time because all you're doing is driving them to thing after thing after thing after thing after thing. And pay attention to and guard their online activity. Now, it doesn't have to look like this, but we, we are striving. We, we, we are striving to limit you know, the amount of time that, that, that our kids are spending online, you want to know why? Because online is going to throw things at them that they're not ready for. And yeah, we're going we're gonna to try to get them ready. But we're going to do that incrementally. Those are some ways that you and I can engage. Now, let me look at the rest of the passage with you and we'll wrap it up, okay? Galatians chapter 6 and now verse 3 says this, Again, we're, we're looking at this in the context of parenting. So if anyone thinks that they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. In other words, humility is going to be an important part of this. We're going to re- need to recognize our need to be on our knees for our kids and on our knees talking to God and asking for help, right? Even if you have grown kids, you can pray for those things. Then verse 4, each one should test their own actions. So not only should there be humility, but there should be a willingness to look in the mirror and be ready to repent, ready to own our stuff, test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. So what is it that our children need? Our children need parents who love Jesus. Our children need parents who are engaged in their lives. And third, our children need parents who are real they're real with them. They're, they're taking a real look at themselves, and they're willing to be real with their kids. Here's the thing. I realize in a room like this, maybe some of us are ashamed of our past, and we don't want to be real. I, I get that. Maybe we're ashamed of the way we grow up, grew up. Maybe we're ashamed of some of the things that we've done. Can I just tell you? I mean, you can use age-appropriate sharing and still be real with your kids. Maybe you're fe- fearful, you know, maybe you're fearful that you will mess them up if you are real. I'm telling you, you won't. Your kids need you to be real. They need you to take a real look at your own heart. And when you sin, you own it. And when they're struggling, it's okay to come alongside and say, you know what, I've been there. I know what that looks like. I've struggled like that before too. Those have been some of the best conversations I've been able to have with my kids to just say, you know what, 
I may not have done it exactly like you did, but I've been there, and I'll tell you, one of the best things that ever happened for me was when I learned to, 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 to make a change here. Can we talk about it, you know? So let me share with you a couple of things that you can do to make sure that you're being real with your kids. Being real involves age-appropriate honesty. I'm not going to share everything about my life with my seven-year-old. But as my teenager starts struggling with more and more things, I'm going to have conversations with them. We can, we can make sure that we own our stuff. How do you expect your kids to repent if they never see you repent? Why would you expect your kids to ask forgiveness and say, I'm sorry, not just, sorry, sorry, Dad. No, I'm sorry. I sinned. I hurt you. Please forgive me if you don't do it. It's not too late. Finally, we have to refuse to compare. Don't compare them to you. Don't compare them to their siblings. Don't compare them to other children. Don't compare them to other families. It's not fair. And nobody wins with comparison. Nobody. So, here's where I want to leave us. Today's Father's Day. I, I am blessed to be a father but I, I'm also a real human being who needs to grow. And my kids need me to be present, to, to love Jesus, to be engaged, and to be real. And so I'm asking myself this question, and I want to ask you to wrestle with it right alongside me. What will you do? You see... If you're here and you don't have kids yet, I would tell you now is a great time to start preparing. Get engaged in the lives of some of the young people here. My kids need other adults who love Jesus. Get engaged. If you're here and you're a parent, are your kids watching you pursue Jesus? Do they see it? Are you restoring them gently? Are you taking the time to be engaged enough that you know what's going on in their lives and you can walk through it with them? Are you being honest and real with your kids? Here's what I would say to you. Pick one. Just pick one. And work on it. And if you're here today and you say, well, that all sounds good, Aaron. Thanks, that was a nice talk. But I'm not sure what I think about all this Jesus stuff. I'd say, okay, that's all right. But if you come to the place where you'd say, I'd like to know more about Jesus, I'm gonna tell you, we would be very happy to have a conversation with you about how you can know that Jesus loves you just as you are. And he loved you enough to pay for what has broken us, for me too. Let me pray for us. Father God, I thank you so much for the instruction that you give us in your word.
It's good. It's helpful. I firmly believe that the best thing that I could ever do is learn to live according to your word. It would produce one of the best lives I could ever experience. And I realize there's a room full of of people here. Some are parents, some are not. Some are grandparents, some are not. Some are even great-grandparents, and we praise God for that. God, I pray that you would help us to choose today. See, this, this is not about what, what we should do. This is about what we will do. Help us to choose to love you and to follow you and to be engaged in young people's lives and to be real and to be honest and to come alongside and to support. God, that's my prayer. We thank you in Jesus' name.